<laughs> oh, would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and um, I thank you for what you're doing here. Um, I thank you for what we just heard, uh, how you're moving um, in weddings and funerals, and uh, love hearing Christy's heart, identifying where you are, slowing things down so we can see you, partner with you. I pray that we would do that here this morning, slow it down so we can see you, partner with you, experience your presence. So, Lord, what would you say to us this morning with where we're at? And how would you have us respond? I ask, uh, Lord, that you would give us courage. So often we say, you meet us where we're at, and that's true. Very true. But I ask in Jesus' name that you give us the the courage to meet you where we're at, to uh, come to you the way we are and allow you to continue to transform us with your love, with ever-increasing glory. So we pray your blessing over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So as often, I, I often do this, so I'm going to do this again this morning. It's because I'm, I'm learning as a human being and I'm learning as a parent and I'm, I am coming to that point, I have three kids, and I'm coming to that point where some of the, the sad stuff's happening where you come home and they're not going, Daddy, 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 uh, that stinks. <laughs> and I'm going, you know what, though? I have, I have a, a young one who's, who's now two years old, and she's still excited to see me. She doesn't know any better yet. And, um, but it was funny, I'm going, oh, she's going to get there quicker than the others. The other day, I dropped her off at my folks' house, and there was something on the TV, and she runs, she runs into the middle of the living room, and she's standing there looking, and she's little, and she's standing looking at this big TV, and I'm at the front door about to leave. I'm going, Finley, Finley, I love you. I love you. And this is all I see in her little pink cast. She's looking at the TV. This is all I see. So, Lord, have mercy on us through change. (laughs) Those moments are hard to find where he is sometimes. (laughs) So, thank you, Jesus. Uh, Well, today we're going to do something. We're going to take a, I'm going to take a a little different approach uh, to John this morning. Uh, If we were going in order, we would be on John chapter 7 today. And what we're going to do is we're going to start in chapter 8, and next week I'm going to go back to chapter 7, and we're going to go through that. Um, And there's a reason for that. Chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus um, going to the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to see interaction with his brothers. We're going to see interaction with uh, the Jews and the teachers of the law, and they are questioning Uh, whether he's the Messiah or not and questioning things that they've seen in the scriptures that would point to signs of the Messiah and they're trying to get rid of him basically they want him dead they want him out of there so they are trying to find anything because they're scared of the change and the differences that they're seeing and Mark talked about this last week is the differences and the differences in life can be very hard to navigate I mean how many have, have hung out with someone that's not like you, and you don't know the language. 
You don't know how to speak their language, even if you're speaking English. And there are certain people that are just different than you, you may not want to hang out with. Anyone experience that? And then anyone experience yourself marrying someone different than you? <laughs> yeah. But there's a beauty in it and a blessing in it. But in this case, uh, the Jews are threatened by it. They don't like that this God-man is doing what he's doing. They don't like how he's shaking everything up, disrupting their norm. And really what it's doing, it's shaking the foundations of these, these people that believe in God and are a slave to the law, but it's shaking it up and revealing really where their faith is and where it's not. And chapter 7 will really give us a picture of that. But I want to go forward a little bit into chapter 8, because chapter 8, the first 11 verses, and we've heard this story many times, and I've spoken on it many times, but there's a lot here for us to navigate, will paint us a picture of how Jesus takes this law that uh, until that point so many of the Jews have been a slave to and shows that he is, and he says this, the fulfillment of the law. And we see it in full display in this interaction that we'll see in verses 1 through 11. Now, at the end of chapter 7, uh, the, the Pharisees are, are not happy. They're not happy with Jesus. Uh, they're not happy with the response uh, people are having towards him. He's gaining uh, believers by the day, and they don't like this. And so they start uh, really trying to conduct a plan, create a plan. And Nicodemus, who we've heard uh, about prior to, that is really now seeing that Jesus is the Messiah, questions them and pushes back on the Pharisees. And we see the Pharisees say, are you a believer of him now too? Are you basically, are you drinking the Kool-Aid? Are you like all on board now? Yeah. And this is where we start. So they replied, are you from Galilee too? Because that's where uh, Jesus is from. And they're saying this to Nicodemus. Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And that's what they say to Nicodemus. And then after that, in verse 53, then each went to his own home. But, verse 1, chapter 8, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And they're trying to trap him. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They're even trying to create their own proof. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straight, straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When you hear that, does that give you hope in your own circumstances? Other than me. <laughs> He's willing to stand with this woman caught in sin in front of a group of teachers of the law. He is drawing, no pun intended to him actually drawing, a line in the sand. And he is doing something radical. And when I say radical, radical means to go back to the root. Sometimes we think, oh, just crazy. No, but going back to the root, he does something radical, meaning we were created for him and by him to be with him. And what he's illustrating is actions that convey that message. Even this person caught in sin, I will love. And pretty soon I will die for. So we see this profound, profound statement by Jesus. Now, here's some things that we can pay attention to in this. The Pharisees are fudging this a little bit. Now, if you are going to hold someone to the law, especially uh, a death sentence, there are certain protocols that have to be in place. There are certain things. One of them is proof. They have to be caught in the act. So we hear she was caught in the act of adultery. Okay. But the other thing is that it's not just the woman that would be put to death. It's also the man. But do you hear or see him there? No. They're fudging this because they, they don't care about that. Or at least the impression is they don't care about all of that. They care about trapping Jesus. And they'll do it any way they can. Now, under Roman rule, the Jews cannot, they cannot um, go through or follow through with a death sentence. It would be against Roman law. So they can't do that. So here's another part of the trap. Now, if Jesus says, if Jesus says, you know what, guys, you're right. Let's execute her. Well, now what? Now he gets arrested by the Romans and the, the, the Pharisees are happy. Or he lets her off scot-free and then according to the Jewish law, they can denounce him and all this other stuff and they win. But guess what? Jesus does something different. He does something different. He uses his own heart, who he is, who the Father is in him, and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, don't you think that would clear everybody out pretty quickly? And it's brilliant. That's his answer. It isn't a do this or do that. He asks the question. How many have been in your life hit with someone asking you a question that ruins your argument? And, and then you're not happy about it. So you try the desperate Hail Mary rebuttal of reaction, and then you look dumber than you did before. Right? Jesus asks a question and makes everyone look foolish, and the older ones are like, yep, all right, he's got me, I'm out. And then I think, you know, it trickles down to the young because there's more fight in them. <laughs> but I think they realize, now, there's something else here. How many have wondered what he's writing? Has anyone wondered what he's writing? Bottom line, we don't know. Bottom line, we don't know. I do have a theory. 
And I heard this from someone, and, and then the Lord pro- expounded upon it for me. And this, will, we'll talk more about it next week in chapter 7. But we're going to look at Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah to maybe get some possible insight. But here's, here's the thing I want us to pay attention to. Remember, we have the Jewish people that are the people of God who are trying to kill the Son of God. They cannot recognize him. And the reason why they cannot recognize them is because they have been such slaves to the law, they can't even recognize God who breathed them in to existence. They can't recognize him. And so the people that are supposed to be representatives of God are now not representatives of God, and Jesus is exposing that. They don't like it. They're losing their authority. They want to get rid of them. Here he has a statement with this woman caught in adultery. He says, I'm going to stand with all people, and I'm going to die for them. I'm going to love them no matter what. This is upsetting the apple cart. And when we look in the book of Jeremiah, we see him addressing the people of God and the things that they're doing and not doing. And when we look in Jeremiah, we're going to look in Jeremiah 17. Remember, this is just a theory. This is not, not saying this is it. Could be. But Jeremiah known to be very poetic in talking about the destruction to come. Judea, he says this. Now, pay attention to this because the words that you're going to hear address the same type of people that are in front of Jesus. Those who turn away, those who turn away will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. Those who have turned away from God will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. Jesus is surrounded by people who are supposed to be for and with God that have forsaken him and are now trying to kill the Son of God Could it be possible, could it be that Jesus began writing the names of some of the people in front of him that have forsaken God? Could it be? It would fit the context. Here's a group of people that have forsaken him and are using this woman to trap him, to kill him, to persecute him, to judge him, to convict him. And they're pulling out the big guns. They're getting the Romans involved. They are trying to concoct such an elaborate plan to get rid of this guy. And they cannot find fault, so they got to make it up. They've even got to fudge the law that they are slaves to and now think they're lord over because now they're messing with it just to get rid of this guy. These are people that have forsaken God. Knowingly or unknowingly, it's happening. And in the midst of that, Jesus is showing them the way. 
He's showing them what that law is really about. He's showing the heart of the Father. We, are, we, we heard earlier in John that he only does what? What he sees the Father doing. And we'll hear next week that in John, John 7, he, all he, the things that he says are the things he hears from the Father. He only knows what the Father wants him to know. He only does what the Father wants him to do. So if he's, whatever Jesus is doing is a reflection of what the Father is doing and what the Father wants, and so the, the, the God that, that the Pharisees and the Jews serve is a God that sent his son in that moment to stand with that woman and says, I will not condemn you, but go and sin no more. God has revealed himself. But they've turned away. And chapter 7 will give more context to this. That Jesus, he did everything he can do to get our attention. I hate when I find myself in a place where I've turned away. How many feel the same way? I would love to get to a place in my life where I would never have to sing a worship song that conveys me turning toward him because I haven't turned away from him. Will that happen? Probably not. I'd love for it to. To get in a place where I stand with him as he's standing with me, caught in my sin, and allowing him to transform me. Would that not be a beautiful place to stand as an individual and as a church family? This is one of the, to me, the most profound scriptures because it shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and he does something only an uncreated God can do. Pharisees were not stupid. I mean, they weren't unintelligent people. And they couldn't think of this. They couldn't think of the rebuttals. Jesus asks a question and reveals that they have turned away from God and that they don't have an answer for him. And so the day that it comes for him to be arrested, they have to make up a whole bunch of stuff and then they substitute him for a known murderer because they are so threatened by the goodness and the love of God that creates change in a world that has been tainted with sin. Jesus flips it upside down. Do you know why we go a lot to back to our bad habits oftentimes it's because we it's what we know Jesus upsets the apple cart of of habit and what we know and we go back because at least we know it instead of stepping out in courage and going into the areas we don't know but remember he stands with us as he stood with that woman That is no small sign of the love of God. This woman knew it, that a teacher, and I guarantee you she heard of him, but a teacher of the law, he was still considered a rabbi. And he, he's standing with her. She knows what's at risk for him. She knows. She knows this is no small statement he's making. Do you think that ministered to her heart? Yeah. And you better believe her heart turned toward him and not away from him. And she was the one not barking all the answers. She was the one that was going to get killed, who was caught in sin, 
and he fought for her because the others have forsaken him. And I think it is possible that what he was writing was maybe some of the names of those who had forsaken them. Could you imagine seeing your own name? That'd make you rethink some things, wouldn't it? How does he know my name? How does he know my heart? What we see from Jesus in this passage and what we'll see next week is a, is a God who sees us and loves us and is able to hold, be the fulfillment of the law with giving, giving none of his attackers any room to, or ground to stand on because he asks questions that bring conviction, but we see a God that is with us, that is for us, and it doesn't matter how filthy we look. It doesn't scare them off. It scares the Pharisees. It did not scare them off. The, the, the whole point of the church is to be, and we'll see this later in chapter 8, is to be the light unto the world, the light that he was in the midst of someone's sin that gave her a second chance and did not condemn her but released her to turn toward him, to be faithful, and that's what we have. This cross is grace. In grace, we have another opportunity to turn toward him so we don't ever have to turn away from him. You and I will never have to see our names written in the dust as we stay with him as he is with us and we will continue to be transformed with ever-increasing glory and people will see him in us wherever we go. And guess what you'll see us doing? Standing with the woman caught in adultery. Standing with the person on death row. Standing with the person who's immersed in sin. We will not be afraid to go there because that's where the light of the world goes and is not afraid. We have that beautiful, challenging honor to go to those places, to turn toward him and not away. What an inheritance from the God that loves us. So my encouragement to us as we live out our week is to, one, know that he sees us and he knows us. And no matter what your stuff is, he's there in it with you. And we need to engage him in it. And then to ask him to reveal the people we need to stand with, they have no one to stand with them. Because he has said, I will stand with those even seeped in sin. Look what he did to Paul's life. Look what he's done to your life. Look what he's done to my life. If that's not a testimony of the true love of God and the law fulfilled in the presence and persons of Jesus Christ, I don't know what else is. But when people come into this place, when we go out of this place and we encounter people, doesn't matter how different they are. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't even matter what their sin is because the responsibility to love in the midst of it and stand with them does not change. It does not change with the times. It does not change with the circumstances. Our call is to love the way he loved, which was neither condemning nor condoning, which is why we stay with him because he's the only one that knows how to do that. He made intelligent people look foolish. 
by asking a question and then modeling what love looks like. So let us continue to encourage each other to do likewise. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you have shown us. You've shown us how to love. You've shown us where you want us to go. That's wherever you go. And where you go is going to be right in the middle of people's stuff. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, if our heart is turned away, that you gently bring us back to a place where we are moving toward you and not away from you. Would you show us how to encourage one another as a church family? Would you help us um, love in a way that reflects who you are, even if it's hard for us? I can't imagine. I cannot imagine with all the pressure around you when you walked this earth how you stayed faithful in times of feeling alone in times of feeling betrayed and abandoned you stayed faithful and you loved through it all even when you asked the question why oh God have you forsaken me you did not waver you are the God we serve and that we love because you loved us first. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chases me.